Our second Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing giving, given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is God's word. Thank you, uh, Amanda, for reading that passage of scripture for us this morning. Uh, we do want to pray also for Mark, who is away in Singapore. I've been in touch with Mark, actually, this past week. We had some conversations with each other, which is good. And I do also want to pray for others who will be leaving for Singapore. I know uh, England and May are leaving on the 18th to Singapore. My wife is somewhere in the air. She's not landed in Holland as yet, so... We have a traveling congregation, right? Um, which is great. Well, we're going to look at uh, God's word this morning. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles uh, open to Galatians chapter 3. So let's pray as we look at this word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's given to us. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, Lord. That you challenge us with your word as we look at this section of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning, um, I have changed the, the, the title of the message as from your newsletter to just two words, for us, for us. I thought it was kind of easy for us, I hope, to remember at the end of this message, you just remember two words. If I was to ask you what or someone was to ask you, what did you hear on Sunday? Just remember two words, for us, okay? And the significance of these two words. It will become evident as we look at this passage. 
Well, I chose this title because in the passage before us this morning, Galatians chapter 3, 10 to 14, we have a section that deals with the law, section that deals with curse, with the curse, and also deals with what Christ has done for us so that we may no longer be under the curse anymore. In fact, chapter 3, the latter part of chapter 3 is a quite a challenging chapter. It's later on, we will see, not today, uh, Paul speaks about covenants and uh, all the implications of that on Abraham and so many interpretations on that section as well. But for this morning, we are going to look at uh, Galatians 3, 10 to 14. Let me give you a very quick overview of what we've seen in Galatians 3, 1 to 9. Last week, we saw how Paul addressed the Galatians. He said, oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. Don't you understand the gospel that I preached to you? Don't you understand that I painted before you Christ and him crucified? I brought Christ before you. And how come you are making Christ plus works and following the false teachers as a gospel? And then he asked the second question, who bewitched you? Who cast a spell on you? What is this spell, this evil spell, as it were, that has come upon you? That you've forgotten the gospel that I preached to you, the very Christ that I brought before you. Don't you understand this gospel of grace, that you cannot earn your justification? Why are you so foolish, and who has bewitched you? And then Paul asked a series of rhetorical questions to make the point. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? No. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The answer is no. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? No. Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, the answer is no. So did the Galatians receive the Spirit by circumcision? No. Did the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? No. Did the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit by observing certain dietary laws? No. How did they receive the Holy Spirit? It is by hearing with faith. So that is, when the word was preached, when Christ was proclaimed, the Spirit of God took that message and opened the heart of the sinner to receive Jesus Christ. Amazing miracles of the working of the Spirit of God. Today we ask for miracles. So some people will say, show us miracles. Why isn't God doing the miracles that he did so many years ago? Well, you know, friends, one of the greatest miracles that the Lord is doing even today is the miracle of conversion. Yes? I think most of us here, certainly I am here by the grace of God because of the miracle that he has performed in my life. I had no understanding of the gospel, nothing. And the Lord changed and transformed my life. And he has done that to you. Is that not a miracle? <laughs> so if you're here as a Christian here this morning, then give thanks to God that Christ, the eternal one, has performed an amazing miracle in your life. Yes? And you are a testimony of the miracle of God's grace in you through the hearing of the word that is proclaimed. 
That's the, that's the thing that Paul was saying. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who brought about their conversion. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. In fact, chapter 3, 1 to 9 is a Trinitarian chapter, uh, section as well. The God is mentioned, the Spirit is mentioned, Jesus is mentioned. And so justification by faith in Christ alone and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, they go together. And we saw last week how Paul referred to Abraham and he made the connection by referring to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. That is about Abraham. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. He did not earn his salvation by works. Instead, Abraham believed God and received salvation by faith. And so if the Galatians want to be part of the true Old Testament community, then they needed to imitate Abraham. Abraham lived by faith. Was Abraham unique in this sense? No, because the children of Abraham are those who believe. And we see that in 3, 7, and 9. So this, was, this, this gospel was preached to Abraham as well, and that's the point. And so this morning, we want to look at this section under just two points here, the penalty of the law and the power of the cross. The penalty of the law and the power of the cross. You see, the penalty or the problem with the law, look at verse 10. If you have a Bible with, with you, please uh, keep it open. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, just think about these words. The Apostle Paul continues in his argument against the false teachers, the Judaizers, by referring to the law. What is the law that is in reference here? What's the problem here? Paul's argument against the false teachers is that the law misunderstood as a way of salvation brings a curse. A curse. Think in terms of the voodoo practices and the pronouncement of a curse. I love the James Bond movies. Do any, I mean, now don't judge me under the law for watching James Bond movies, right? Then you're a legalist. That's, that's easy, right? Now, I know that there are some people who love Bond movies here as well. They remain nameless. But you know Bond movie. And, and, and the movie is, uh, is this one. You know the Woody one? Live and let die. right? And all the voodoo practices that goes on in that show is quite amazing. All the scary stuff. The, the, the guy coming up from the grave and everything else. And the spells that's been put upon. The evil work that's going on. The voodoo practices of cursing that goes on. And so when we think of this word curse, right, we think of it as somebody pronouncing some bad thing upon a person. I remember growing up in Sri Lanka, hearing of people being cursed and apparently having a spell put upon them by some witch doctor, some witchcraft person. And the end result being that if the person has received this curse, then that person will go through a suffering and pain. If you are coming from countries like India and Sri Lanka, you will know what I'm saying, right? The curse. Right? People who pay money to a witchcraft doctor to cast a spell of curse upon someone. So to be cursed is a terrible thing. Curse is the, the opposite of blessing. 
And now in our text we read the word curse. When we read the word curse here, we must not miss the theological understanding in both the Old and New Testament with the use of this word. What then is it to be cursed? Well, let me answer it this way. What, is, what does it mean to be blessed by God? Firstly, to be blessed by God is to have his favor upon us in his grace. Let me refer to an Old Testament uh, a benediction that we might sometimes pronounce or the blessing. You know this one, Numbers chapter 6. You would have heard this being said many times here in our church. Right? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That is, let him give you his shalom. I sometimes receive texts from uh, brothers here and they would sign off with shalom. <laughs> shalom. I love it when I get the word shalom because it is peace. This is not just a peace. It's a sense of wholesomeness. It's the blessing of peace upon the, a person's life. And so blessedness of the Old Testament is living in the nearness of God. To be blessed by God is to be kept by God, to be preserved by God. It is to have the favor of God upon our lives and to have the peace, the shalom, the shalomness of God over your life. What a blessing is that? Yes? That is the blessing of God. Now the opposite of that blessing, the opposite of that shalomness is a curse. And so the concept of the curse in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the concept here is to live outside of God's blessing. To be cursed of God is to be set outside of his presence. To be cursed of God is to be cut off from the almighty God. To be cut off from the presence of God. And it is not to experience is shalom. What a place to be in. To be blessed by God or to have a curse. Well, what would you choose? You tell me. I know what I would want. I'm sure you do as well, right? Wouldn't we want the shalomness of God upon our lives? Yes. Or is it a curse? So we have these two things that we have here, right? And so Paul the Apostle Paul, who had a deep understanding of the Old Testament law, he knew the law very well. We know that. And he knew the demands of the law. And he was a zealous Jew. And we read of this in Galatians chapter 1. And under the law, in this case, my understanding when the word law is used here, it is the Ten Commandments given through Moses and also the ceremonial law given through Moses. And so if we seek to find favor or approval with God through keeping of this whole law that is the moral law and the aspects of the ceremonial law we will be under its curse and judgment now we all love to be approved right generally speaking anyone doesn't love approval right we learned that from our childhood days don't we we do a job at home we, we want our parents to come and say well done Son, well done, daughter. You do an assignment at school, they'll say, well done, good work. You go to work for your boss, 
and your boss sees that you've done a great job and he says, well done. You want that approval, don't you? Well, kind of. What about having the approval of God in our lives? And so to make the point here, the Apostle Paul is quoting, as I said, extensively here from Old Testament passages. Right? And in fact, there are four Old Testament passages that Paul intervenes, that, that, that he, he, he puts in here, uh, intertwines this in this passage. So let's see this. The first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 27. To make his point, he quotes a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 27, which is a chapter, if you ever look at Deuteronomy chapter 27, it is a chapter that is full of demands that God makes in his law and his curses for anyone who breaks any of these demands. Deuteronomy 27. Now, though there is a variation here in Galatians chapter 3 of Deuteronomy 27, 6, it is essentially the same. Notice what we read in Deuteronomy 27, 6, uh, 26. Cursed be anyone who does not conform, confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. You see, Paul says that all who rely on observing the law for their salvation are under the curse. All right? The moral law cannot save anyone. The law sets the standards of God that we cannot keep. The ceremonial law with its symbols pointed to the coming of Jesus. And we know that the Jews worked really hard at keeping the law and particularly the Pharisees. They kept every minute detail of the law. Now let me ask you the question this morning. Have we kept the Ten Commandments perfectly here? Anyone? Have you? What do you think about that? Do we keep the law 24 hours every day? Do we keep the law seven days a week? Do we keep the law 52 weeks a year in thought, word, and deed? If you said you've kept the law, the commandments, 100%, you've already broken one. Yes? That's the point, friends. Remember the rich young ruler. We had the reading this morning. But Barry read in Luke chapter 18. Right? Remember the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he said, look, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What, what can I do? And, and, and he says, I've, I've kept all these commandments. I've done all of these things, God. And then Jesus says, go and sell the things you have. Was Jesus saying, get rid of your wealth? That's not, that's, that's not the point of, that, of, of what we have in Luke 18. The point is, this rich young ruler had made his wealth is God. And he has immediately broken the commandments. So that's the point, isn't it? The point is that only perfect performance could win God's approval under the law. But since that was not achievable by the law, it would only lead us to condemnation, to condemn a person and cause that person to be cast away from God. So James chapter 2 and verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And so brothers and sisters this morning, if we assumed for a moment 
that we can keep the moral law and aspects of the ceremonial law and that they would justify us and give us approval with God, then we will be under a curse. And that's the point I think Paul is making here. Paul is therefore defending the doctrine of justification through faith alone and is insisting that no one can be accepted by God unless it is kept in all its perfection of this law. So everybody falls under the curse of the law. And according to Genesis chapters 2 and 3, the curse is death. So the law cannot possibly give life and salvation. It can only work death. And so look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Now where is that from? That's from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. By the way, Habakkuk chapter 2, 4 is mentioned three times in the Bible. Galatians 3, 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. Actually, I'm preaching on that text next Sunday evening. So Romans 1, 17 and Hebrews 10, 38. Life, says Paul, comes by means of faith, not by means of earning favor through works or keeping of the Ten Commandments or some aspects of the ceremonial law. And faith has been described as this. It's a good way of thinking about it. Forsaking all, I trust him. Did we get that? Forsaking all, I trust him. Have we? Have you? Have I? You see, justification is by faith alone, but it's not a faith that remains alone. It is not a dead faith. It, a genuine faith in Christ also produces good works. Let me show it this way. You see, the Roman Catholic Church, for example, and others might say, and other, other religions will say, faith plus works equals justification. Justification is being made right with God. I've defined that already. It's a legal term. It's a once and for all act of God. Okay. Whereas for us, faith in Christ alone equals justification and it produces good works. And so the good works we produce is not to gain justification. The good works we do for others is because of our justification in Christ. Do you see that? And so we do good works, don't we? So we care for the poor. So we care for those around us. So we are to show compassion and love and do good deeds. Don't you think so as Christians? Why? Because we've been justified in Christ, not the other way around. Okay? So it is in the perfect obedience of Jesus alone that we are justified. Dr. R.C. Sproul, I know it's kind of a long quote. He puts it well here. He says this. It's not the doctrine that saves. It's Christ who saves. And what the church is trying to explain in terms of the doctrine of justification by faith alone is to explain how Christ saves his people. And what we are saying is that justification is by putting our trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Not in our theology textbooks. All theological students here this morning, <laughs> right? We don't put our faith in the theological textbooks, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't read it. Not in our creeds, as important as they may be. Not in our confessions, 
but in our actual faith whose object is Christ, not the doctrine about Christ. Get this, friends. It's not about the doctrine about Christ. I may know everything about Christ, but have I put my faith in Christ who is the object of my faith? You see, faith is an instrument. My faith doesn't save me, does it? Does it? No. My faith is, in the gr is grounded in the objective person and work of Jesus Christ. And so theologians would call faith as an instrument through the working of the Spirit that helps me to understand and to put my faith in Christ who is the object of my faith and my salvation. So you might say, I know everything about the doctrine of Christ. That's not going to do anything. It's about your faith in the object person of Jesus Christ. That's the point. See, we might know everything about the confession. <laughs> we might know everything about how the Presbyterian church operates. We might know lots of Bible stories. But unless our faith is grounded in the object person of Christ, then we've lost the point. <laughs> is your faith grounded in Christ? Is it this morning? You see, when we talk about faith, we talk about saving faith in Christ, two aspects, but also faith in our daily living. John Piper puts it this way, faith is a kind of spiritual tasting of what God has promised so that we feel a deep, substantial assurance of things hoped for. And faith is a kind of spiritual scene of the invisible fingerprints of God in the things he has made. By the one we know God's power and wisdom to make us. And by the other we know his goodness and grace to save us. What a blessing, friends, is that. God who saves us through faith in Jesus alone. You see, last Friday, uh, sorry, on Thursday, I went for a funeral. Please pray for Tony Salisbury. His, his, his father died and the funeral was held at Lilydale memorial uh, cemetery there and after the funeral after the burial I went around the cemetery I was looking for the grave of my mother-in-law in 2004 she died I took a photo of that and brought it home and showed Rose and, I, and it struck me again what is life what is death where do we stand with this God and I asked myself the question, I asked myself the question, if I was to die today, Lord, why would you let me into your heaven? Why? Lord, I was the minister, senior minister at St. Stephen's. Surely, surely, would that be good enough? Lord, I've done this, I've done that, I've, I have led Bible studies, I've done so many things, surely. And I had to pray, friends. I had to pray because there is a terrible danger, I think, anyway, in my own life, sometimes to put my faith or my, my understanding of how salvation works, somehow to credit something about myself, you know, into it. And I had to say, Lord, I am trusting you 120% 
because I'm a weak, frail, fragile guy. I am trusting you and you and you alone. That's it. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to you, O oh Lord, I cling. Do you? See verse 12. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. And Paul goes on to quote another Old Testament passage, Leviticus 18 verse 5. And, and it, it says this. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. You see, let me get through this very quickly. In Leviticus, God was telling his people that if they lived faithfully, that is by trusting and obeying, they would grow in their self sanctification. And in context, Le Leviticus 18.5 presupposes faith. And it means that true faith, the kind that gives life and growth in salvation, is obedient faith. Okay? Now it seems, though, that the false teachers, the Judaizers, were misusing Leviticus 18.5 to teach that law-keeping by itself produces salvation. And so Paul pits their misreading of Leviticus 18.5 against the clear statement of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 and he has argued that if we separate the law from faith and use the law as a means of getting salvation and approval with God, we shall find it to be a curse and death. What a terrible position to be in. A utterly hopeless position to be in, friends. But that is good news. God has not kept us in this terrible and hopeless position. Why do I say that? Have a look at your Bibles. To Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, Paul is quoting another Old Testament passage. Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, why would Paul refer to this passage? Let me say this. You see, when someone was executed in the Old Testament, it was usually by stoning. And the body was put on a tree as a symbol of rejection by God. It was not that the person was cursed because he was hung, rather that he was hung on the tree as a sign of his curse. And so God's law pronounces a curse on everyone who fails to keep it and it's a curse that we, shall, we are all under because we have sinned against God. We have turned our backs against God. And so if we are to be saved from the wrath of this curse, from the wrath of God, something has to be done. And how can we escape such a curse? The curse has now been removed. Look at verse, look at your text here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now who was hung on a tree, friend? Who? Who was it? Jesus, right? What happened on that Good Friday when they crucified him on the cross? He was hanging on the cross, was he not? 
And the moment he was there at the cross being crucified, he was taking that curse. You see, Jesus was not under the curse. He is God's incarnate son, the perfect sinless son of God, our savior. He was not under the law, but he did it for us. Remember these two words, for us he became a curse. For us he kept the law perfectly. For us he lived an obedient life that we could have never lived. And he has redeemed us. He did this for us. For whom? Us. And who is the us? It's me and you. It's us. And he's done it for us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Grace, God's love for you, for us. You see, never look at the cross of Christ and say, wow, what a great work, Jesus. Good, good on you. No, 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 no. He has done it for you. He has done it for me. And the moment we see this, friends, the moment we start looking at this cross of Christ, that he took upon himself the curse, the wrath of God for my sin, I see a Savior who has loved me with an everlasting love. Don't you? And who's given his life that I might live. Isn't that grace? Remember when Jesus was at the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All those words, Eloi, Eloi, Labatabatani. My God, why have you forsaken me? At the cross, friends, Jesus was forsaken by God for us. At the cross, for us, he was cut off from the presence of the Father. For us, at the cross, God turned his back from his son Jesus so as we conclude this morning we can never be saved by our obedience to the law because the law brings a curse not a blessing the law the moral law shows me and points me to the need of a savior the moral law brings me it's, it's like a school teacher that shows me it's a, it teaches me that I am I have sinned. I have fallen short every time. But Christ has kept the law perfectly for you and for me. He was not under the curse. You see, we can never be saved by our own works or the law. The law demands obedience and this means obedience in all things. Nobody could ever live by the law because the law kills and shows the sinner that he or she is guilty before God. We deserve the curse. We deserve to be cut off from the merciful presence of God. But that curse has been born for us. For us. Jesus hung there. For us, his blood was shed. For us, he was raised from the dead. For us, he is interceding before the Father. Where? Come on, help me out. Where is Jesus at the moment? He's at the right hand of the Father, right? And for us, he is praying. And for us, this Savior will come again. And for us, he has given us 
everlasting life. That if I was to call, be called home, or you were to be called home today, we know that because of our faith in Christ alone, I will be with my Savior in heaven. What a blessing, eh? And for us, friends, this Savior walks with us every day. You know, last night, I went to bed quite late. Normally, I'm at 10 o'clock, but I couldn't really sleep last night. You probably know why, right? <laughs> so I sat down, I listened to music. I listened to all kinds of music last night, and then I listened to hymns as well. This is like the middle of the night. And I listened to this hymn, It is well, it is well, what is it? With my soul. And I sat there in the middle of the night listening to this hymn. Lord, I thank you. By your grace, I can say it is well with my soul because of what you have done for us, for me, for us, your people. Well, let me close with a quote from Martin Luther. So long as sin, death and the curse remain in us, sin damns us, death kills us, and the curse curses us. But when these things are transferred to Christ, what is ours becomes his, and what is his becomes ours. Let us learn, therefore, in every temptation to transfer sin, death, the curse, and all the evils that oppress us from ourselves to Christ. And on the other hand, to transfer righteousness, life, and blessing from him to us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that for us, Christ has done everything. We thank you for the fact that he became a curse for us. And so, Lord, in response to your grace, we pray that we will live obedient lives. That we will obey the voice of our master. That we will obey his word, not to gain salvation, but to please you, Lord. And so this morning, I pray that you help us to live our lives to please our great and wonderful and awesome, precious Savior Jesus. I pray this morning if there is anyone here. You know the hearts of everyone here Lord this morning. If there is someone here. Who does not know Jesus today. As his or her living Savior. May today. Be a day of conversion. In Jesus name. Amen.